Hello everyone and welcome to the Water Hour on the Water Forum South Africa. Here on the Water Forum, we strive to be informative, educational and factual because in the words of Dr. Anthony Turton, facts are our friends and so we invite you to join the conversation. I'm your host, Projecti Lambanda. I'm a Goodwill global Goodwill ambassador and a live streaming advocate who loves to help brands, entrepreneurs, authors and nonprofits and social good um, initiatives to tell their stories. And on this particular show, we are sharing water stories. Today, my guest is Benoit Leroy. He's the CEO of Water Shortage South Africa. Benoit comes with a wealth of experience, over 40 years experience in the water sector. So he's well versed to help us. So before we dive into our conversation today, a big warm welcome. If you're watching this live, you are invited to participate in the questions, in the, in the conversation. Give us your questions, give us your comments. You can actually drive the conversation. We've got a set list of about um, 11 points that we're planning to, 10 points we're planning to cover today. But if you've got specific questions, please don't hold back from asking those questions. Now, I do want to point out to you that we are live on various pages across Facebook. However, if you want us to see your commentary or your questions live, you do need to be watching the show on the page that is www.facebook.com forward slash SA. If you are not watching on that page, we will not be able to see your comments live. We'll only pick them up afterwards. So please ensure you are following on that page if you want to com comment and participate. So welcome, everyone. And Benoit, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brigitte. Great to have you here. So we're going to dive right into our first point of conversation, and that is the integrated development plan. Um, can you dive a little bit, you know, before you before you tell us the five-year plan and how that's linked to municipal budgets, just quickly explain what exactly that is, if you don't mind. Okay, so so I thought the IDP is 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 an important thing because. I think the average person in South Africa is not aware of what the integrated development plans are. And these are plans at local government or municipality level that are really the business plans of each sphere of local, of local government. So if you take a uni city like Johannesburg, they would have an IDP. It normally looks at a five-year period and reassesses every year. And this is your business plan that you would have in any business. If you do not have a valid IDP, you do not have a valid business, you do not have a valid local government or municipality. And I have yet to see any of the mainstream media actually talking about the IDPs because this to me is the root cause of all good and evil and nothing. Um, so, you know, everybody is, is running around with the water shortages, the sanitation issues we have, which are really traumatic. Um, but you have to drill down to the IDPs. And before we react about any of the extern external issues is what's in your IDP. And as, as citizenry, we generally speaking in South Africa don't participate in the IDP generations, although there are, there's a public, you know, there's a public uh, participation process. Uh, people are reasonably apathetic. It's not the cause why they're not working. It's, um, I would suggest the first um, journalist or um, movement or political party that is investigating water shortages and issues around that is to say, where's the IDP? So it has to be on the internet, has to be published, and um, drill down into that and go specifically to the budget issues and the likes and have a look if there's a business plan. If, the, if there's no business plan, you have no business. And I, my quick look around in the country outside of the uni cities is that the IDPs are not really reflective of the current situation. So that to me means there is no plan. So that water fails and the likes, and we start blaming other things like political parties and like floods and all this, are to me um, indicative of our ignorance of IDPs. So I thought it'd be good to bring it up so that we can um, get some awareness out there um, because it really, this is the skeleton uh, behind the entire country is local government and the IDPs. 
Fantastic. Um, I'm glad that you have been able to explain what that is and also the importance of the IDP. So our next um, item on the agenda is what is the water and rates what is, what is the water and rates recovery rate? What is it and why is it important? Okay, so, so what I'm alluding here is that currently, um, generally speaking, we are under recovering uh, the cost of water. And I'm saying there's two issues here. One is that the cost of water is too high. And I'll tell you why later, um, because I just say the other way around. It depends how you look at it. And the other one is um, uh, rates are used to actually subsidize the under recovery of water. So our Municipal Finance Management Act is a very good act. We don't implement it correctly and we are not amending it as times are changing and become more complex. So Cape Town is a very good case and example where um, whatever they do, whatever tariffs they put up, they've been short for, since 2015 and, and before that, but since 2015 definitely, they've been short of over a billion rand in recovering the water rate. So they have a methodology for trying to see what are, what are, what are the recovery rates. So whether your price of water is right or wrong, and I, I believe it's incorrect in South Africa, but the, we are not recovering the cost of water, and that's why Infuleni, for example, owes 550 million rand plus to Rand Water, which is the sole provider of bulk water to the Infuleni municipality, which is between 750, 800,000 people, which is very similar to the Ugu district municipality where Port Shepson is, that has this meltdown where tourism has collapsed, where also um, most of their water is from surface water and from Amgani water, which is equivalent to Rand water. So if you don't know, if Cape Town, I'll, I'll use the number, it used to be about five and a half billion Rand for water and sanitation, and they were recovering about four and a half billion. At least they knew there was a problem and they were trying to rectify it, but they're using rates, which are intended for uh, roads, lights, security and the likes. They're using rates to subsidize water. That means water is too cheap. I'm saying water is not too cheap. I'm saying water, because we lead 41% on average in the country, is that we're in actual fact, our water is 41% overpriced. Um, in a perfect system, uh, we would have zero leaks, but we, we will have some leaks in the system. That, that's natural. So if flowing out of the IDP, if we don't have an accounting mechanism to understand for every 100 rand that we buy water and we only recover 90 rand or 80 rand or 70 rand, uh, we, we, we're on a beating second to none. So the unicities have these numbers, but they're the exception. Um, so they're less than 5% of the municipalities in the country, and that's not where we have the issues. The other thing is, um, if you've got like an Infuleni, and I don't know the Ugu number, but I suspect it's close, where 60 to 80% of the rates and of the water tariffs are not recovered. In other words, potentially either people don't want to pay or can't pay. And I think a lot of it is to do with cannot pay, unaffordable, indigent households and the likes. Um, so we can set the tariffs wherever we want. Um, but if we don't know what we can afford to pay and what we are recovering or not, we're actually in the hiding second to none. And these things are supposed to be reflected in the IDPs. And I do not see them in the IDPs outside of the uni, you know, the uni cities. So it's like having a game of rugby and allowing the All Blacks to put in an extra play or two um, in the sevens like they did two, three years ago to make sure they didn't lose. And they cheated until such time as TV refs and the likes were, were brought in. This is what's happening in the water space is that everybody's cheating and there's no rules and the IDP are the rules, the Municipal Finance Management Act are the rules, but we're not, we're not going there. And why aren't we doing that? Our councillors are elected by us and are accountable to us on those very issues. So what could we do about that, um, Benoit? Is there anything we as citizens can do to hold our councillors accountable? We have indirect um, or proportional um, voting system that was put in uh, in the transition in '94. Uh, I think for good reason at the time. I think that needs to be relooked because the councillors hide behind the political party, and the political party says, "Oh well, it has structures and it has uh, collectives and it has to consult," and and so nobody is really accountable. If you look at functional democracies, 
the counselor is accountable. You camp outside his house or her house until such time as they've given you what you paid them to do. So I think we need to revisit that. But I think also we need more active citizenry. Um, we're, we're becoming like the Australians and New Zealanders. And you know, apologies to my Australian New Zealand uh, rugby friends. But we be, we're becoming whingers, uh, whiners. Um, you, you know, whining and whinging does nothing. We need to say, is this is the problem? The root cause is this. How can we mitigate it? And we need to become active citizens in an orderly fashion. So we need to start holding our councils, our political parties accountable. And we also need to use the media to, in actual fact, uh, do a lot of the work that they're good at um, uh, for us and hold the media accountable to make sure that it is proper news, not fake news, that is correctly interpreted and the likes. Um, so, you know, we... We're, um, we're not helpless, but we're acting that way to a great extent where we're really waiting for government to help us. Government's not going to help us. Government's elected by us. We need to hold government accountable to us. We pay their salaries. And I don't mince my words with any politician. I don't care if it's from number one to number, number 100. They work for me. And, you know, we need to realize that's how democracy functions. It's not functional at the moment because we don't hold anybody accountable. I stand in Edinburgh, we've got 80,000 people, less than eight people go to the IDP and do the budget review annually. So um, are we active citizens? Mm -mm. Are we active on Facebook? Yes, but Facebook does nothing for you, you know. And what we're trying to do here through Facebook and the likes is to raise the awareness so that people can start questioning and looking. And... Um, the uni cities, generally speaking, do operate quite well. They have a critical mass. But the cities we're talking about in the towns, the district municipalities, the Ugus, the Bethels, the Enfulenis and the likes, they're in for hiding second to none. There is no IDP. There's no accountability. There's absolute anarchy. And it doesn't stem from water. Water is just a symptom. And it's probably the first symptom. That and, and electricity that the municipality has actually failed or is, is failing. And, and Ugu has failed and um, Mfuleni has failed also. And Mfuleni is not even a district municipality, it's a local municipality. So I think we need to become active citizens and we need to demand in a peaceful and intelligent manner what is due to us, what we are paying for every month. You know, we, we, it's not for nothing, we are paying for it. I think that's that kind of is the is the key issue there that we need to become active. We need to become informed, active citizens. Yes. We don't want to become participants in disinformation and fake news because that doesn't get us anywhere. But if we can arm ourselves with information to take to our councillors and hold them accountable, that has value because that can bring about change. And so tying into that leads very nicely into our next uh, agenda item, which is the employment rate in the water sector. Tell us a bit about that. So if, if you look at, you'll find, generally speaking, the failed municipalities where there are water shortages and sanitation overflow issues and the likes, you'll find the unemployment is normally around about 50% plus. So outside the unicities, the unicities unemployment is below uh, the general average in our country. So if you've got a high unemployment rate, what happens is it becomes a circular reference in that it feeds poverty. So less people paying for services, so there's less revenue to the municipality. And what happens is less investment in the local municipality. And if you look at Ugu, it's dependent on tourism. And um, the tourism, I've got friends who've got BMBs and the likes, they're empty. So for the July holidays, they're offering up to 80, 90% discount to get feet through the door. Um, without water, you're not going to get tourists. So the unemployment is, is a very good indicator of, of a failing or failed um, municipality. Mfuleni has got about 70 to 80% under recovery in, in water, electricity, uh, and rate, rate payments. So the indigent and unemployed population is, is probably close to that also, and industry is pulling out. So um, the indicator of unemployment should be should be used to indicate long before the water crisis um, arrives. And I believe we're not doing it because unemployment is a politically unsavorable discussion uh, to have. The reality is outside the uni cities, people are more than 50% unemployed. And in the rural areas, it goes up to two thirds or 80% in the Eastern Cape, for example. So if, if you have that unemployment, 
you are not, unless you change something drastic to create employment through water resilience and the likes and some dignity in sanitation, you're not going to change the matter. And I believe Ugu and Infuleni are um, unemployment is is, is, is is a major cause due to national economic policy failure. And what's happened is it's gone into a spiral. And the spiral is so tight right now, everybody's pointing fingers and nobody knows what the cause is. And the cause lies right. It's an economic, it's a fundamental you know, e economic cause to do that. So, you know, from a, a national perspective, we can put in whatever infrastructure we want. It's not going to work. It's not going to be maintained. And in actual fact, in Infuleni, the unemployment is so high that it has become, there's a parallel economy and there's a gangster element in there. And that's why the SNDF, I believe, was sent in, was to uh, remove uh, the mafia or the gangsters from the pump stations and the likes who were stripping the assets bare. And um, the reality is the sewage doesn't actually get to the sewage plants because the entire ne conveyance network, the piping and pumps, doesn't operate. And if you have a look so in the I just want to pause there because that's quite an important thing. So the general public would assume that the SN SNDA, the, the army is there to make the system work again. But you're saying that that is not the case. Why is that not a case? Why is the army not there to make the system work? I, I, I do not believe the army has any capability in engineering a solution of this magnitude. This is civil engineering uh, with mechanical and uh, chemical and process engineering. Um, I do not believe, um, um, you know, the defense force is there to defend the country and it's there to neutralize opposition. Um, it's not there to build water and waste infrastructure. The most they ever do is containerize systems when they move into um, into Africa under the United Nations, for example. They've got containerized systems that produce water, that treat the sewage, and that also, or if it's waterless, um, lose, and also in, they bring in the incinerators for the medical waste and the general waste, so that when they leave, there's nothing left over there. That's the extent of the engineering, apart from building some bridges or demolishing bridges and the likes. The Defence Force was never moved in, in my opinion, to Infilani to resolve anything apart from stabilising the theft element and the gangsterism that's there. And I've seen it firsthand. So um, I've been there, I've seen it, and um, they've done a very good job in doing that. But um, there's no money, and we're talking, and this is government's words, and I think the number's low, it's a 5 billion rand problem. They thought they needed 200 million. They now need 850 million. The fiscus has got naught. Treasury has said they got naught. And the Defence Force has spent 80 million, that's their number, in uh, stabilising the pump stations and in actual fact trying to assess the conveyance network um, uh, situation. They don't have the skills to do that, unfortunately. And they've emptied some tanks in the sewage plant, which is in actual fact a waste of time. Not a waste of money, but a waste of time. But they had the time, so it's fine. But there's no sewage arriving there. So um, the sewage plant's not the problem. Um, I can tell you now. It, it's decrepit. It's broken. It's not the problem. The problem is that the conveyor system has been neglected for 10 years. This is not a new thing. For over 10 years, well, 20 years, the last 10 years we saw the symptoms and um, the defense was just put in there just to stop the mafia from taking over the city completely, which they, they nearly had. Um, so there's no business there and industry is really hamstrung and the electrical network is also failing. People, there's volunteers trying to sort it out, but the root cause is an economic one. And when the government moves out, the parallel economy moves in and it's very innovative and it doesn't take prisoners. So the, the Defence Forces moved in, I believe, in a first phase. The next phase is to mobilise 5 billion rand plus as a first phase to get the sewage to where it needs to get and then to ensure that it complies with whatever receiving environment it has to go into. And that point has not been discussed in the media. And in actual fact, if you look at all the action groups in the VAL, they are also all fighting uh, symptoms through the courts and the likes but not addressing the root causes. There's no vehicles in Infilani municipality. They were all repossessed. There's no municipality. Yeah. That's that's a shocking statistic. Before we carry on, I want to remind everyone who's watching us live that 
in order for us to see your comments or and or questions you please need to watch from the facebook page called www.facebook.com forward slash waterforum sa otherwise we can't see your live comments and we'll only see them after the show so carrying on from that um Benoit, if the government doesn't have the 5 billion rand that it's going to take to unlock the water um, infrastructure in our country, where will, those, where will that funding come from? How do we unlock that? I think the business community has got it, but how do we unlock that? Uh, literally, our hands are tied, isn't it? Well, yes. Well, let me tell you, from a business perspective, we've, we've shown the presidency we've got the money. We've got more than enough money. We've got the technology and we've got uh, plenty skills here and internationally. It's like the internet, we're all connected, um, ready to do the work. So the only thing we really need is a, we need political buy-in, which we have from the presidency, but there's obviously a huge pushback. And we have to allow the new administration to, 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 to get into, you know, get the buns into seats and the likes. And that's busy happening as we speak now. Um, so the... Not to treat the symptom, I must differentiate it, is that our water infrastructure needs about a trillion rand, and this is a, a national government number, it needs just over a trillion rand over the next 10 years, so it's 100 billion a year. We currently spend 100 billion a year in the water and sanitation sector. We need to double that to be able to catch up the 25 years of underinvestment. We haven't managed our assets. And um, to instill a modicum of water resilience by shifting a few paradigms, but we can't do this unless we've got the skeleton rights and we've got the IDPs right and we've got, there is no national approved water strategy and we're busy, we're busy working that and as business, we are pushing that very hard, saying that we've got lots of money. We've got trillions of rands to bring into the economy, but there are terms and conditions. And those terms and conditions are business-like. So you need to have your IDPs in place. You need to have a national water um, and, and, and sanitation master plan, for example. So we, we, we're busy working on that. We have provided at a macro level how the um, uh, trillion rand um, uh, could be spent. And it's not one after the other. These are four-dimensional uh, programmatic rollouts that have to be done purely because of the state we're in. But having said that, we need to sort out our institutional and governance issues, which are killing the economy across all, all sectors, not just the water and sanitation, which is really symptomatic. Mm. Yeah, a lot, lots of food for thought there. Uh, moving on to our next agenda item, what is the water asset and management plan and how will that affect service delivery? So there are guidelines um, which are globally accepted best practice, which are really uh, International Water Association, um, Civil Engineering Institute, the Municipal Finance Management Act, where I think it's between 5 and 8% of your water and sanitation assets have to be renewed, replaced, upgraded annually. And we haven't been doing this at that rate for the last 25 years, and hence uh, the collapse. Uh, the only... The uni cities have to an extent, Cape Town is, is, is the one by far ahead of the, the curve there where they've been doing that. And, and the, 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 the issue of asset management, believe it or not, is in the last two decades, uh, a very new, new concept somehow that we have forgotten. And um, asset management is like buying a car with a motor plan and the garage, the dealer will look after your car for you. Our infrastructure, 60% of our infrastructure in the city is water and sanitation. And believe you me, it needs servicing. And the way we abuse the system, it needs it more than the average luxury car. So um, 5 to 8%, which means that, you know, over a 12-year period, you would have replaced your assets. Last 25 years, we have not replaced our assets, and they were 40 years old 25 years ago. So they leak like a sieve. But Cape Town doesn't. And, and Cape Town got clever. It said... We don't have 60 billion rand to replace our assets and catch up. What we do have is some clever guys, and the original guy came from Scotland, and he said, well, let's just reduce the pressure at night when nobody needs water, then the system will leak less. That system was used, rolled out um, to a wider network in Cape Town and resulted in 70, 80 megaliters a day of the 500 being used. So it's a big number. 
uh, during the drought, which helped to keep Cape Town alive. Now, so we call that pressure management. And um, it's not a civil bullet, but it's a way of whilst we gather the funds and people, South Africa has to pay for it. So we have to pay for it to replace the several hundred billion rands worth of um, uh, water and sanitation network, um, we, we put in pressure demand. So to give you an idea, to do the uni cities except Cape Town is 20 to 30 billion. To replace is going to be 200, 300 billion. So the 2025 billion can be raised on the open markets through various mechanisms. And that could be installed within a two-year period this is not warned leaks also. I don't want people to get confused with the abortion that DWS tried, and they know it's that, is you can't put plumbers on a four-meter bulk pipeline. Um, this is where we put in sophisticated pressure-reducing valves, and what we do is we link them to a central control system so that we can control the pressure and the flows and the leaks in the pipe system uh, during low demand, for example, and increase the pressure during high demand. And this is why people uh, top of block of flats and top of hills tend to find there's no, no water or very low water at times. That's because they're being rotationally pressure shed or, or pressure demand is, is being applied to try and keep the system from, from leaking too much. And normally, you know, if you have more than two leaks in a six-month period in a kilometer, you then replace that pipe. And that pipe could cost 10, 20, 30 million rand, for example. And, and, and that's where we're at in South Africa, but that's where we're at in the globe. So the average in the globe is 25% unaccounted for water, which is mostly leaks, a little bit of theft and accounting errors. Um, in the EU, it's 25%. In Japan, it's less than 5 Tokyo is less than 3%. And uh, before the drought, Cape Town was below, it was at 14.7, 14.8%. Um, most of our uni cities are 40 to 50 percent, outlying areas are 50 to 60 percent. And that's why I say water is not necessarily underpriced. We're buying the water from a water board and half of it is disappearing. It's unaccounted for. And most of it is actually leaks. That is quite, that is quite um, a huge number of, um, of unaccounted for water in terms of leaks. And again, just to reiterate, uh, in terms of the army moving into certain areas, they are not engineers, so this is not something that they can manage. You're saying we actually need engineers to fix this. The, the SNDF does have engineers in there, but they, they really, the engineers, they, they are engineers who are there to set up camp, to demobilize a camp, to, um, to build a temporary bridge and the likes. So they're not infrastructure civil engineers, which is a skill on its own. Um, and if you just look at the water portion of um, bulk water provision, Cape Town failed in all its augmentation because they are not bulk water engineers. They've never been. They're not bulk water engineers. It's a very sophisticated um, um, a skill, and, and that skill resides in the TCTAs Department of Water Sanitation, in the Water Service Authorities, in the Catchment Management Agencies, and that skill is, 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 is getting quite, um, uh, quite scarce at the moment, but it's a very different skill. So to expect a defense force to have bulk water skills and to have pipeline leak detection and pressure management skills is not a chance. There, there isn't a country that has them. So, you know, why would South Africa have them? It's not that we're bad, it's just we're trying to to fix something, you know, with a shoestring, and um, there's no shoe. Right. So that leads very well into our next item on the agenda. At what rate are our water assets replaced annually, and specifically the piping network? Because that seems to be the big hole in this entire problem, is that the, the piping network seems to be packing up. Yes. So, so if we do our asset management properly, then we won't have this issue. And um, so, you know, a lot of people are saying our water is underpriced. Well, to fix the mess we're in, our water is underpriced because we won't fix the leaks overnight. So we see, uh, you know, we see the price of water doubling every five to seven years at the moment. Nobody noticed it until recently with the Cape Town drought and the likes uh, where water's been, been, been raised as, as, as an issue. So um, we, we're going to have to... The money has to come from somewhere, and until such time as we can drive efficiencies in the system, um, people have to pay. And um, 
it's the, you know, in Cape Town, they're trying to raise, I'm trying to remember the number, I think it was about 10 billion rand over the next five years. Now, the, the network, the piping and the sanitation network and the sewage plants and the potable producing plants are worth 60, 70 billion rand. 10 billion rand is a drop in the ocean. It's absolutely not enough. But I think it's a political reason and they can't raise their tariffs adequately to cover the repayment of that of those loans that they intend to 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 draw down on pretty much like Eskom. So um, we, we we need to look at a different asset management approach and we need to look at private equity and we need to look at private skills and we need to adopt global best practice. And, you know, we need to take the blinkers off and start focusing on multi-dimensional asset management plans that will mitigate extraordinary increases because our fiscus is constrained and our households are constrained. Um, and we have to hit the pressure, le the pressure management issue with leaks. We have to replace a lot of pipe work. We have to replace a lot of um, pump stations. And we have to upgrade our sewage works because they, generally speaking, the technology is old. And the flows and the concentrations and the makeup of chemicals they're receiving is different to what they were designed for. And, um, you know, it's nice screaming about it, but, you know, somebody has to pay for it. So, um, you, you know, in Europe, prices of water and sanitation are coming down over the next five years by their regulators, as pushed the UK as a lead in this. In South Africa, we're going up at 15% a year and getting less. So we... I, we need to look in the IDPs. What does it say in the IDPs? Are they lying to us? And I think there's a lot of copy-paste in the IDPs that will show that there is no as inadequate asset management and there is no planning going ahead. And remembering that water infrastructure, generally speaking, is a 30 to 50-year window and it takes 10 to 20 years to put in. Um, we're going to have to do it quicker, which means we have to be smarter. We need to get money quicker. And um, but we need willing government and we need active citizenry that holds government accountable. Now, in Cape Town, for example, we started this pipe levy and there's been huge pushback um, about that. So the rate that you would pay for your uh, facility of having water would be dependent on the diameter of the pipe that supplies water to your property. Is that possibly a way to go to to raise the funds? Well, globally, it's the only way to go. So South Africa can say and do and kick and scream how much it wants, is that 80 to 90% of your water and sanitation costs at municipal level in, 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 in cities, towns, and uni cities are fixed. So um, in France, for example, most areas and in Germany, you get one invoice a year. And that invoice is for 90% of your costs, and there's an estimation for the last 10%, which is volumetric. So remembering they've got lots of water, Whereas here we, 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 we have water, we have plenty of water all around our coast. Uh, we, we're ignoring that. Water inland is, is not in the right places necessarily. It's drying up. So we have to be a little bit more careful. But um, to me, the only way out of our fix is that the pipe levy. So if you're paying a thousand rand water sanitation a month, your pipe levy should be 900 rand. The 10 rand should be a volumetric rate. Um, and with extreme punitive measures, if you're using more than 235 liters per person per day, for example, some, some reasonable number. But um, the pipe levy is, is the only way to go. Uh, without that, you're bankrupting municipality. And city of Cape Town, for example, the number's clear, they owe 10 billion. So Cape Town's not going to be around too long and be a destination of choice if it doesn't service at 10 billion. And most of that 10 billion is water rates and taxes. It's not electricity because electricity just gets switched off, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So our next next agenda item is how many classified water and sanitation operators are employed full-time in the sector? But before we carry on to that, we've got a question, and perhaps we can just answer that briefly before we move on to the next one. So the question is, what questions should a citizen ask our municipal, provincial, and national government levels? I, I would say the first thing is, what is what what is your idp at the local government level what's your integrated development plan for the municipality okay if they can't bring that to you move live in another city um so that's the first thing the second thing is what is our national water and sanitation strategy that has to be fixed it's not 
Okay. So I would say let, let's start at the beginning. That's the recipe before we make the cake. So moving on to our next um, question then is at what yeah. rate are, sorry, we've, we've covered that. Our next question is how many classified water and sanitation operators are currently employed full-time in the sector and why is that important? Okay, so why that's important, what we did 20 years ago is we established standard generating bodies, SGBs, with unit standards to do with education. At the same time, we went through a relicensing process for all water and wastewater works in this country, including water use licenses and the likes. And what that meant is, like an engineer has got to sign off, a mechanic, a civil engineer who specializes in structures will sign off a bridge. Um, the person who operates a wastewater work and a water works, depending on its capacity, on its complexity, its volumetric throughput, and its license requirements, has to, by law, have X amount of class one to six operators, and a supervisory level anywhere from class five to class seven operators. And the higher the class, the higher the sophistication. So class seven would be a professional um, engineer, the class five, generally speaking, uh, BSc honors. And uh, class one would be a laborer. Now, I can tell you, I have not heard this in the last 10 years, any discussions on classified operators. So we have got people flying airplanes, right, who have the equivalent maybe to two years education and um, are not certified. So it's not the amount of years, it's, it's in actual fact, you have to be certified as an operator. So it's, 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 it's your education, it's your experience and the likes, and that gets reviewed on a regular basis. I don't see this as part of our national strategy. I don't see it in the IDPs. I don't see it in the Department of Water Sanitation issues. Nobody's asking the questions. So I, I would like to lay the challenge. I think we are flying water and sanitation blind in South Africa, and the aircraft hasn't crashed. It hasn't taken off. It can't. We don't know how to fly it. And there's no petrol. There's no avgas in the thing. And the undercarriage is actually folded, you know. So and the engines were stolen, um, which are the cables that connect everything. So, you know, the, the, this aspect, if we had to do an audit nationally, I would challenge the media to do that. Do an audit nationally, and you'll see that 90% of the municipalities do not have legally compliant water and sewage works. I'd like to be proven wrong. Wow, that's quite staggering. Um, and I think that the media is well placed to do this kind of um, independent investigation. Yes. Um, because obviously, you know, I don't think that, I think there's so many discrepancies going on in the department at the moment that I don't think anybody would believe figures that came from them. So an independent source checking this out would be um, amazing. So that said, do we know how many professional engineers and scientists are currently employed in the water sector? All I hear is there aren't many and that most um, non-uni cities do not have. They don't have technologists, never mind engineers or scientists. So not only does the plane not have a pilot, it doesn't have a co-pilot or navigator or navigation system or a compass. It has nothing. You know, so um, water and sanitation systems are complex, far more complex than electricity, energy, gas, and the likes. And it's not because I'm in that sector that I'm saying that, that these are facts. And it's, um, it's a moving target. And the science in water has changed so much because of our lifestyles. We have got stuff in our water that is making us sick. And we don't even know it, and we'll find out about it in a generation or two. And and and, and that's where you need scientists. Um, we don't have the scientists at local level who can pick up, for example, the telltale signs that we've got um, uh, toxins in our water. Um, and 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 globally, this is pretty well done. But in South Africa, it's not well done any longer. Most of the scientists you'll find are at a water board level, for example. Um, and, and, you know, if you talk about operators now, we're talking about scientists, we're talking about engineers, is we don't have capable people and there's no regulation around this. And this is why I think an independent regulator 
so he's not politicized, etc. His objective could enforce these basic rules that we put together 25 years ago that are good rules that need to be amended as time goes on. But we need independent regulation because it's like having a you know um, a second year accounting student doing the books of SAA, and maybe that's what's happening in SAA. I'm being a bit flippant, but maybe that's what's happening. Um, or at Eskom, and, and saying that they are a chartered accountant. So we have regulation in that area, and we know who's a lawyer, who's a chartered accountant, and who's an engineer. But why in water and sanitation don't we have this? Um, you know, the regulations are quite clear, but we've, we've really thrown them all out, and now it's a free-for-all, and we wonder why it doesn't work. It can't work. So, so what you're saying is that um, we basically have the regulations are mostly in place we just don't have the enforcement yes it's like we've got we've got the police in place but we don't have policing um so yes um and and i, I don't think we have to rewrite too many national laws on the water sanitation side there's a few things we have to do to make investments simpler but we just need to have a regulator who's got teeth you know we've got the auditor general now who's giving uh Un unqualified audits where we know there's 2.2 billion missing, for example. So the Auditor General has been captured by the sounds of it. This is what I'm being told. And the water sector, which is a lot less visible until the taps run dry. Um, yeah, we, we, we need to apply the laws we have and modify them as we need them for, let's say, for the fourth industrial revolution. I think things are, are changing. They're becoming a lot more complex. And that's why regulation is quite important and enforcing the regulations and we've got this less fair um, attitude, and we wonder why we don't have water. We we won't have water in Ugu, we won't have water and sanitation in in, in, in Fuleni or in Bethel. We're not going to have it. Um, there is no reason to have it. Benma, before we carry on, can we take this question? Um, sure. Is there a scorecard against which a citizen could evaluate whether a municipality has a legal and valid infrastructure strategy plan? The Auditor, the Auditor General is supposed to report on that. And I, I'm very worried about the Auditor General. He's probably going to send guys to my front door tomorrow. But it's fine. We can talk. We've all got guns, so it's fine. Um, but um, the Auditor General is there to do that. Um, what I think we should have um, to address Jacques' question is like we used to have the blue-green drop reports and the no drop that never materialized. We should have a dashboard on the IDP and how we're faring you know, ref counter on the various components of the IDP. So things like employment, uh, rates and taxes, collection, water, energy, roads, kilometers, and the likes. Uh, we should have a dashboard at the municipal level. And uh, I, I think we need to have, uh, over and above the Auditor General, we need to have a regulator, a municipal regulator, that doesn't look just at the water and electricity through NERSA, but looks at, let's say, the IDP issues. Um, and I think that should be run on a provincial basis um, to make sure that the poorer municipalities get subsidized to, to run this type of system. If you don't have a dashboard in your car, you can't run your car. You can't drive your car. Well, we're trying to run municipalities without a dashboard. And I, I, I think it's a good question. We need a dashboard. That's, that's a great it. thing because I've, I've, I've seen that in the energy sector, for example, um, especially when we had the rolling blackouts, I saw that a lot of the professionals in the energy sector were saying, why is that dashboard not being made public? Why can they not have a look at the dashboard? And so what we're saying here is that we should have a similar situation for the water sector. The dashboard should be made public. And why shouldn't we have access if we're paying for services, right? Exactly. So, so one of the initiatives we're busy with is, is actually to set up a national dashboard for water and sanitation. And this will be part of the, the water chamber that we're about to launch, uh, which is a business chamber to do business in the water and sanitation sector through private equity. Um, and, and this is through the PPGI, the Public Private Growth Initiative. And one of the things um, we're busy putting together for our website is, is to have that dashboard, but it's not a blue and green drop dashboard. It's a dashboard showing the health of South Africa from a water sanitation perspective. So it's dams, how many days have you got left, for example, and the likes. A lot of those measurements are still being taken place. It's a matter of putting it together reasonably intelligently and using artificial intelligence to interpret it to what people need. Um, so we, we're, busy, we're busy with that. 
it's obviously subject to 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 some significant funding, um, but I think we've we've got ways of 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 overcoming that. So this ties in very well with our um, next question, which is, what is your blue, green, and no drop scores? Now I know that. A while ago, a few people were asking about the water quality in Cape Town, for example, and um, they were saying, you know, figures aren't available. And I approached the city of Cape Town and they said they are making it available, this, uh, but it's up to the DWS to make it available to the public. And so it's not their problem if the DWS is not making the figures available. Yeah, you know, to me, they're all in collusion and they're all... Um Oh, I, I don't want to start swearing at Sunday. Um, I'll start tomorrow. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, asking a politician for a straight answer is, is um, it's a challenge, yeah, um, problem in old English. Um, so, so by law, and believe you me, Cape Town's water is good, um, by accepting the townships. Um, but by law, uh, you have to adhere to the SANS, South African National Standards 241, not SABS. SABS doesn't exist. It's a it's it's a mirage, um, but the the our sands two for one tells you that the water will comply from a bacteriological, physiological, um, chemical perspective by these, and it, it's not 100% of the time. It's it's 90 odd percent of the time. So what happens is you sample at reservoirs, you sample at um, sample points in the pipework system and at pump stations, and you sample based on the volume delivered. And these are all metered out. And the Auditor General is supposed to look at this. And um, what happens is the likelihood of your water contaminating and, and, and causing being contaminated and causing disease is mitigated by these reports. These reports are public knowledge. So when I say is they, they, there's no legal reason to hide them. So when the public asks for them, they have to give them to you. Now, the green drop, now the blue drop is Department of Water Sanitation's equivalent of a national dashboard of how municipalities are faring. Cape Town has a legal obligation to do its, not blue drop, its potable water results available on its website. They used to be and it's taken it off. Okay, so that politician must be removed and must get an official to actually allow them to do their job. I believe the officials are not being allowed to do their job by the politicians who are talking a lot of um, falsehoods in the press. It's very well documented. Let, let the, the officials do their work. The scientific laboratory services of Cape Town have got all the numbers. And until two years ago, they were all available on the internet. Okay. So um, you, you might have to apply a, a pirate um, story, for example, and then you'll win with cost because you're not allowed to keep this knowledge away from the public. It's got nothing to do with DWS. DWS is supposed to have a national dashboard. The green drop report is the quality of the sewage um, infrastructure. So that has got to do specifically with not only the sewage that you're disposing of according to your discharge permit or license, but also the quality of your staff you have there, the quality of the assets, and they, they multiply those and they give you a score. And generally speaking, the last ones in 2012 that were done nationally, I think it was 80, 90% municipalities submitted. And it looked like two thirds of our green drop didn't comply. And the blue drop, generally speaking, two thirds complied. Blue, blue drop saying, in the uni cities, no problem. So you're saying we've got every right to demand that they put that information Sorry? up on their website and make it available publicly. They're not allowed to withhold that information it's not covered by the secrecy act it's got nothing to do unless they want to use it as a weapon of war it's got nothing to do with the secrecy act this is public information and it's information that used to be posted up the law hasn't changed so it's just political shenanigans and um i i would i i would say some some of the environmental groups must just put a few of um the officials in court and they will give you the results They'll be forced to give you the results. They've got them. But this is one of the reasons why education is so important to the general public. So we know what our rights are. We know that we are what we are entitled to. Um, because it's very easy if you don't know this information, you approach the city council and they say, well, you know, it's not public information. But if you are empowered to know what your legal standing is in terms of information availability, you can say or insist that they make the information available. 
Absolutely. There's nothing secret about water quality. Nothing. Yeah. Um, so Jacques is just um, basically reiterating what you're saying, that we can use the courts to force the municipality to perform, um, to perform its job. Um, and I think you've answered that question. You've asked whether we can use PIA to access water data, and that was answered. We can, yeah. Um, and then the, the um, JT Potkita asks, shouldn't water and waste treatment be decentralized um, as we discussed? And does this make water treat does make treatment rates much lower and places accountability as on operators? I like JT's uh, question. By the way, we didn't we didn't uh, put that question together before. Um, the there's many ways of skinning a cat. So I believe we need a blend of public-private partnerships. Um, some things government's better at in South Africa. It's difficult to find many, but there are things that government like bulk water and and interbasin transfers. I I I would never never. I'm 100% sure that that must stay as a national mandate, as must desalination of seawater on the coast. It must be a national mandate. Uh, the cities have all failed. Um, let, let's start, carry on down that way. So I'm not saying that we need so BOTS build, operate, train, or transfer, BOTT, build, operate, train, transfer, or boot, build, own, operate, transfer, and then concessions where you actually collect the money also. So there's many ways of skinning that cat. The reality is in South Africa, we have no choice because we don't have a trillion rand. And we don't have it. We, we cannot double the price of water just plus interest, just um, to, 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 to catch up with our infrastructure. We can't, we can't do that. So we need to do it through private equity injection. But the municipalities who have the capacity, which is roughly two-thirds, I saw last week, um, then what they do is they manage the private component based on the contract. So now there's no union nonsense. There's no political nonsense. There's a contract. I know Cape Town's got issues with the contract, but if the contract's properly done, what happens is you force that contractor to perform over the term of the contract, which would be typically 15 to 25 years. And what ha what's happening in uh, the UK is that the regulators said from 2020 to 2025, water sanitation rates have to have dropped in today's terms by 5%. Okay, so Thames Water fired two weeks ago on a Friday, the CEO, because the unaccounted for water hadn't reduced enough. Um, I, I think it's a bit harsh, but um, it's just to show you. We, so they've privatized water in the UK. We're not going to privatize water here. We have to change the constitution, and we don't want to fiddle with it. We know that. But by outsourcing certain things like operation, maintenance, and also um, outsourcing capital and injection of capital, we are able to, that's where we need the capacity to manage contractors to an extent where over a period of time, I believe over the next 10 to 15 years, the price of water and sanitation will decrease in South Africa by more than the inflation rate. And that's easy to do because we'll go from 40% leaks down to 10% leaks because we force a contractor to perform over that period of time. And also we'll have independent regulator where we don't have inefficient cost plus in our water utilities and in our municipalities. So um, private capital is the most efficient capital. Um, that's why we have pensions, as you wouldn't have a pension. Uh, maybe I must exclude South Africa, but I mean, generally speaking, that's how the world works, including China. So um, yes, I think, I think JT's question is, there's definitely um, an element of a solution in South Africa. There's a reticence to do that because of our um, unions and labor movement that control the ruling party who say that outsourcing is bad for the economy. They haven't looked outside of uh, South Africa, unfortunately. And we have to overcome that. And I believe we've made great, great progress in overcoming that. Thanks for taking that question, Benoit. We're almost at the top of the hour, so let's have a look at our last uh, question on the agenda. What is the unaccounted for water rate and how do we mitigate it? Is there a strategy to mitigate our unaccounted for water rate? So I, I think this should be declared a national catastrophe. Um, a country that has no more new water, 
um, that has um, more evaporation in our dams because of climate change. And um, we, we, so we, we, water scarce is induced by us, by nothing else, by human activity. We need to make that a national catastrophe and we have to reduce within the next five years to less than 15%. And um, all decks should be on hand to actually do that because I believe from there, a lot of good things will actually happen. It's like saying, you know, um, of the milk we buy at the grocery store, 50% is lost in the processing system. Absolute nonsense. And why? It's, it's not run by government, it's run by private enterprise. So you've got 90 odd percent of the milk lands up, you know, in your fridge or on your table. We need to do the same with water. Um, so we need to reduce that, but we also need to make sure that more people pay for water. Uh, water costs money. It, it's full out, full out of the, you know, the class doesn't cost anything. But to, to collect it, to process it, to make sure it's fit for human consumption and to bring it to your standpipe or your house um, or to your factory costs money. And the only way we can do that is by economic um, stimulation in the country. And unfortunately, we're shrinking. So we need to overcome that. Um, and um, yeah, so next five years, let's reduce it down to less than 15%. Why say 15%? Cape Town could do it. If Cape Town could do it, and they did it under the previous ruling party, they carried on with the current ruling party, I believe it's not a political issue. I think there's enough political will to do that. And I think that should become a national sport. Not worn leaks, reducing unaccounted for water. Worn leaks is a different subject. <laughs> and let's not go there. <laughs> let's not go there. It's a five billion rand expensive subject to talk about. Very expensive. Benoit, thank you very much for putting the facts on the table. Um, I think the water sector is still filled with a lot of disinformation. And so I believe that conversations like these add a lot of value in terms of educating the public, knowing what their rights are, knowing what the situation is, and how we can become active citizens in the water sector. So I want to say a huge big thank you to you. Pleasure. Thank you. Do you have anything, any, any closing comments? Yeah, and I want to encourage anyone who's still watching this um, to please leave us comments. We will get back to we will get back to that. Um, Jacques asking one final question will allow that quickly. He's saying, "Are we using too much water in South Africa?" That's fake news, and that's a two thirty-five <laughs> liters per person per day. We've got small, big, and we've got small, medium, big water. Small water, twenty-five liters per person per day. That's the million people who are indigent in Cape Town are using 25 litres per person per day, which is roughly 45% of Cape Town's water. So let's leave the indigents alone. They can't help themselves. We have to help them. Then you've got Absolutely. the households at 235 litres per person per day. Leave us alone and leave the tourists alone because we bring money into the economy. That's nothing. What we must look at is the two to 3,000 litres a day that's embedded in our lifestyle uh, outside of the house. So our food, our clothing, our cars, our cell phones, this energy intensive internet, the computers, the tablets and the likes. So we need roughly two to 3,000 liters per person per day just to survive on our calorie intake. That's where we must focus. So the 235 liters per person per day, we can maybe shrink it down if you take leaks out to maybe 150, between 150 and 175. The indigent people we must leave alone, we've got to help them. So I think we must um, divorce ourselves from that fake news that comes from DWS still, unfortunately, and um, focus on the big water. That's where we need to focus. And Anthony Turton can elaborate on the big water. That's his field. Benoit, thanks very much. Um, again, we want to encourage everyone to become educated, active citizens in the water sector. And we want to use water to unlock the economy because water is an economic enabler. Indeed. Thanks. Thanks very much. And thank you, everyone, for watching the show. And um, we shall see you again soon. Thank you.